0: And this was like how I disciplined my focus every single day to go from, you know, a place that was really weakening me and wasn't going to help me heal or survive to a place that gave me energy and gave me hope and made me feel with all my heart that no matter how bad it got, that I was going to survive. Welcome to the Beck and Show. And here at Team Series Tri-Club, it's not just about swim, bike, run. It's about who you become. On our show, we don't just talk to you about swimming, cycling, and running. We talk about mindset. We talk about fearless authenticity and being your very best self.
1: Javier Cam
2: here from Team Sirius. This week on the show, we've got a special bonus episode where Siri recently featured on the 303 Endurance podcast. You can learn more about the 303 Endurance podcast by following the link in the show notes or going to 303cycling.com. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Welcome, everybody, to your 303 Endurance Podcast. Aloha, everybody, get ready for your 303 Endurance Podcast.
2: Welcome to episode 249 of the Three Endurance Podcast. You are listening to your weekly connection to coaches, experts, and pro athletes help you reach your endurance goals. We're your hosts, Coach Rich Soros and Three Chief Bill Plock. Thanks for joining us for another week of endurance interviews and discussion. We are catching up with Siri Lindley after three years to talk about some of the advice that she's been sharing with her clients during this COVID experience. And in the You Can Coaches panel a few weeks ago, Siri shared some great advice on how to reframe this as an opportunity. She has amazing courage and leadership, and she's really someone that people can relate to. We hope that you enjoyed this interview we've got coming up with with her in just a few minutes. She's really inspirational and wise.
1: Bill, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm on a I'm going on another road trip, so I can't wait. Going to the Black Hills. And as a matter of fact, I am going to go to the wildlife loop triathlon he'll be there tonight and the race is tomorrow it's in custer south dakota well that's awesome have a blast i know i should have just signed up but i'm such a wimp i'm so i'm so afraid to do a triathlon i gotta get over this um but it's a uh it's an olympic and a half distance and kirsten smith is actually going to do it coincidentally so i'm excited to do it because they advertised with us a couple years ago and uh It'll be kind of fun to roll the the media trailer in and stand on the top and take pictures and act like we're kind of a big deal, you know. <laughs> no. All these people have never seen us, so that'd be kind of fun. So you're driving? Yeah, it's not that. Oh, fun. Wow, how long is
2: it going to take? It's six. It's a six hour drive. So it's not oh, too that's bad. not bad at all. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah. How are you? Well, very cool. I'm doing great. I am excited to do the show with you. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Today's show is sponsored by Venga. Thanks to Venga for sponsoring today's show, of course. It's a premium CBD that will improve your athletic performance by helping reduce inflammation and anxiety. Venga CBD products are different. They are made here in Colorado with the highest quality hemp, and they are THC free. Venga has a no-risk 60-day money-back guarantee, and it's easy to order online and have it delivered directly to your door. And uh Bill, I have just put in a new order because I was running out. So
1: right, I gotta still I gotta get mine in. I keep walking around on these creaky knees thinking this could go away if I would just get my damn order in. So I, just I gotta make get it your, happen. Do you have any anything left of the um of the balm? I do and I've been using that and I do
2: think that helps actually. I'm I'm so that is really a great product. Folks, get 30% off of your first order using the promo code 303podcast, or subscribe and save 15% on future orders. Just go to V-E-N-G-A-C-B-D.com. All right. Hey, folks, in today's show, we've got feature interview with Siri Lindley. Uh, We've got what's new in the 303, a few things there, Lookout Mountain Try. We've got the Last Call Try. We've got uh, some discussion around that. We've got some endurance news. We've got a tour update. We've got... An Alistair Brownlee win and a really kind of gracious act uh, that he did. We'll talk about all that coming up. First, our interview is sponsored by You Can. Bill, I get the You Can newsletter and the blog. And this week it was titled You Can for Daily Nutrition. And I fell into a total black hole with some recipes.
1: Oh, yeah. You, you want to hear a couple? Yeah, let's They're Pretty good. Okay. I um. got
2: a banana bread flavored smoothie. Oh. Eight ounces of your preferred milk, two scoops of you can uh, protein cookies and cream, a half a banana, a teaspoon of cinnamon, a half a cup of sweetened Greek yogurt, and a handful of ice in a blender. Hmm. Sounds pretty yummy, doesn't it? I don't
1: know. Not a banana, are you
2: are you're a coffee flavor you're a coffee fan, right?
1: Yeah, well, you see, kinda. I, I like coffee, but I don't really love coffee flavored stuff.
2: Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? But I'm Uh, weird. I I don't like watermelon either. So
2: I just chowed down on my uh, You Can Coffee Energy Bar. But listen to this for a coffee lover. Here's another smoothie six ounces of cold coffee, milk, two cups of chocolate You Can Energy Plus Protein in a blender. Add in a half a banana, optional, and a teaspoon of peanut butter, and you got a meal replacement. Mm. I'm hungry. Actually, I'm not so hungry because I just ate a bar, but I was hungry before I ate the bar.
1: <laughs> I haven't eaten a thing. I should, I need to do that.
2: Oh, yeah. I was, I needed something to get my, uh, get myself straight. So, <laughs> you know, in order to, you know, I might have to get some more, get some more, uh, you can too. I, I'm going through it pretty fast. Wendy thinks <laughs> I've got a box arriving almost every other day. So,
1: you're gonna have to get a new address.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. So sneak it in, a in the PO box to get my yeah. secret stash of UCAN yeah, so goodness. when he doesn't see how much I'm buying.
1: Wait, why do you keep carrying uh, that big briefcase around these days? Oh, that's just uh...
2: <laughs> folks. Use the code MHE2020 uh for 15% off at generationukam.com or try the UCAN starter pack for uh 50% off limit one. Links right here in the show notes. Let's talk about Siri Lindley. We shared a teaser interview with her a few weeks ago, and it was from an interview that we bit did back in 2017. Now we were a relatively new podcast back then, and we were really honored to have a you know kind of World Cup series winner and you know a Hall of Famer, you know, on our show. That was pretty cool. Well, this interview that we are doing, we just recorded, and a lot has happened since. Um, our original interview with Siri. she has overcome the greatest challenge uh, of her life in a battle with leukemia and her beautiful victory that you're about to hear about. Um, and Bill, on that note, <laughs> did you know that Siri is Scandinavian a Scandinavian female name for beautiful victory?
1: So, so huh I didn't know it's know that.
2: A, it's a it's a form of Sigrid. An Old Norse of Old Norse origin, and it literally means beautiful victory. So I thought hmm. this would be a great name for our show and our like interview it. with Siri Lindley. I like it. Let's get into the interview right now with Siri Lindley. All right. As you heard in our lead up, we have ITU Hall of Famer and Coach Siri Lindley with us to talk about a number of topics. I, You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, I saw... Uh, a coaches panel that you were on, Siri, where you were giving out some great advice for athletes during COVID. We also want to talk to you about your recovery from leukemia. And I want to talk a little bit about your book, Surfacing. We've got a bunch of other topics we'll probably get into. Um, But first, how are you doing?
0: I am, I am alive, Rich. (laughs) So I'm, I'm doing great. You know, I, um, I'm alive. And I've been given this miraculous gift of life. I'm cancer free. I'm six months post uh, my bone marrow transplant. And um, it's been the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Um, It literally brought me to my knees. Um, But I'm alive. and, And I like I said, I'm cancer free. And that is the most incredible gift in the whole wide world. So now it's about getting stronger every day, getting healthier every day, and um, getting back to living life to the fullest and, and being able to do this hopefully for the next 50 years. Um, but thank you for asking. I feel so incredibly blessed to be here, uh, to have the opportunity to share my story and to share my heart. And um, yeah, it's just a pleasure to be here. So thank you.
2: Uh, well, we are so glad that you are here with us, and we are so glad that you're doing well, cons- everything considered. And, um, and uh, I think that our audience will, uh, will be inspired by hopefully what they hear today. So with all that said, um, we have this uh, little get to know you game that we like to do at the beginning of some of our interviews, and we like to do it with you. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. And what we'll do is we'll ask you for three statements about yourself. And two of, them, two of them are truths that you know, and one of them is a lie that you know, but, but we're going to try to guess which is which and just have a little fun. Whenever you're ready, I think we're ready.
0: Okay. I'm going to try and be creative here. Uh, first statement, I love animals so much that if I'm driving down the road and there's a dead animal in the road, I will stop the car and pull them to the side of the road so that uh, their soul doesn't get... Stomped on by a car. Okay. Number two, um, when I was in fourth grade, I had no friends at all. Uh, Number three, um, I played the drums in a rock band called Albatross when I was 12 years old.
1: Bill. Oh man. Let's see. This might be the, you might've done the best job yet, Siri. So usually I'm, I'm pretty good at picking these out, but you, um, you are, I'm going to say that you're, I think your lie is the last one, the drums.
2: I agree. I think that the, I think that um you do love animals. We of course know that. I also think that you probably love animals to the extent that if you saw a dead animal on the road, you might actually pick it up and move it off to the side of the road. So it doesn't get run it over again. And I do think I remember in your book you talking about being in class at, in fourth grade and not having any friends. So right. I am, I am going to conclude that the uh, you're not a drum player.
0: Okay, you guys, I've totally messed up the game though because all three were true. I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, but I, that, I, that, I, that I even
2: can't... makes it better. <laughs>
0: So, My little rock band guys, we were so bad. So um, yeah, I, it, it's kind of a lie because I was convincing myself we had this amazing rock band and we did, and it was called Albatross, but we were not good. So maybe that's the lie, I guess.
2: All right. Okay. So you're you average. You weren't great. What, <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us, is it really true that you have actually pulled over to move a dead animal off the road? And when was the last time you did that?
0: Oh my God. Like all the time. I'll, you can ask Mirinda Carfrey. We were doing one of our last hard long runs going into the Ironman world championships last year. And, um, we're going along 36 highway 36 and she's in the hardest part of her run. And I'm on my bike, but there's a dead deer in the middle of the road. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I cannot leave the deer there. So as she's running hard, she sees me ride my bike up really quickly ahead. And I'm pulling this deer across to the side of the road and trying to, like, pray and give it this beautiful burial. And she was just like, oh, my God, my coach is insane. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so this this happens quite a bit Um and uh, my wife laughs about all of those. She helps me. She usually will like, you know, help me pull the animal to the side. It's, it's sad. It's horrifying. But yes, that's true. And it happens all the time.
1: So so the story when you go to the ER with the, the herniated disc, I, was, I just had to pull that deer off the side of Highway 36. I just had to do it. Yeah, that's right.
0: That's <laughs> wow. right.
1: God bless you.
2: <laughs> that's, thank you for the chuckle. That was a great way to start. All right. Well, let's do this. Let me, let me kind of tee us off, uh, with this, um, you know, this discussion at the, at the, uh, Generation You Can coaches panel that you were on. And you actually, you had some advice and, you know, you were kind of reminding people to, re- to kind of reframe what's happening. You know, a lot of people I think are feeling, oh, maybe a little bit, um, you know, uh, sorry for themselves. They can't race this year or things aren't the way that they, you know, they'd like them to be. It's just not normal. And, and they're having a hard time finding purpose in their training. And And basically the message I thought that you were saying was, listen, you've actually been given a great gift to kind of, you know, reconnect with all the people in your lives that maybe you don't normally take the time out for because you are so busy training and racing and so forth. And, and to look at this, look at this that way. I, I was hoping if you could you know maybe clarify what what you were saying or just kind of you know, um, just tell us kind of what's what's the message that you're that you're feeling that you're trying to get out there to folks?
0: Well, that's a great question. And it has been a really difficult time. I mean, this has turned everyone's lives upside down. But for me, I think about how you know one of the most common complaints we hear is people saying, I just don't have time. I don't have time to work on my marriage. I don't have time to spend with my kids. I don't have time to, you know, clean up my house or clean up my office. I don't have time to run a business. Um, And it's always about this not having time. Well, we have been given this incredible gift of time, you know, time to work on our weaknesses, time to reconnect with the people that we love and care about and that we wish we could spend more time with. Well, now we can, whether it's in person, if you're living with them or, or whether it's, you know, over Skype or over Zoom every day, we have this precious gift of time now. So no one can complain anymore about not having that. And so for me, I see it as the perfect opportunity to build upon your relationships or nourish those important relationships in your life Um, do, you know, start doing things that will help you become a better triathlete, whether that's, you know, more stretching, more functional training or mobility work or meditation, you know, working on your mindset, um, start preparing, you know, for what comes next. If you're a professional athlete or put more time into your business or more time, there's so much time now where we can truly make our weaknesses strengths and and become a more well-rounded human and, and take the lessons that we learn now that will help us be an even better athlete with a much more fulfilled life because we have everything in balance. Um, so for me, I reframe everything. You know, when I went through leukemia, I had to reframe what was happening to me. If I had focused on why is this happening to me? Oh my God, why me? This is so terrible. Life is horrible. That wasn't going to help me heal. That wasn't going to see me triumph in the end. So instead I said, okay, this is happening because there are things I need to learn through this that are going to make me even stronger. And and one of those things was learning how to receive, you know, I've always been a giver. I just want to give, give, give. And I really had a difficult time receiving and, you know, Cancer brings you to your knees, you know, I reached a point where I had to be taken care of like I had to receive the love of my wife and my mom and my friends and and in doing that, I truly realized just how much they they loved me and in learning how to receive going through this process, I am able to now give so much more because I'm taking in that energy and I'm able to give that much more in return so. I reframe this whole um, situation as number one, I'm learning how to receive, which is going to allow me to give so much more when I'm healthy and strong again. Number two, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be able to share what I've been through with people, and that's gonna, you know, have a big impact on people's lives and hopefully make a beautiful difference in, in, in their worlds. Um, so when we reframe, it empowers us when we reframe, it energizes us. And, you know, this is a perfect time for all my athletes, I see it, to work on their weaknesses, to um, all those things that they maybe were feeling bad about because they never had time for their family. They're they're now taking that time. And those that look at it that way also will feel so much happier during this time and so much more efficient and, you know, hopefully won't hit the kind of depression that a lot of people have. Um, because they're just thinking of it as lost time and not being able to do what they love, I hope that helps I'm sorry that was a little long oh, great I hope that helped
2: what I mean you've got both pro pro athletes that you coach and you've got age group athletes that you coach is that message nuanced a little bit or or you know is there a difference in terms of how your professional athletes are receiving that message or <laughs> versus your age groupers I mean given that you know it's their career and
0: yeah, there's definitely a lot more stress for the pro athletes because, you know, this is how they make a living. Um, but I've always felt that that with professional triathlon, like nobody really teaches you what comes next and what to do when your career is over. And a lot of people, I think, struggle um, when they retire from racing and they don't really know what to do with their life. So I kind of explain to my pros, like, okay, you're not making money now. We're going to find other ways. Like let's, what else are you interested in? What else can we create now that can help bring in, you know, a little bit of extra money, but also could be something that, you know, 10 years down the line could be something that you truly transition into and can be really passionate about. So it's kind of, you know, getting them thinking about the far future, but also, you know, instead of focusing on the problem, I'm not racing, I'm not making money, you know, what am I going to do? We're, I'm trying to provide them with every possible solution and focus on the solutions rather than the problem. And again, that empowers them and energizes them. And in my mind, as their coach, I'm thinking this is going to really help them when it is time to transition, you know, five, 10 years down the line, where they could have something already set up that they can get involved in and, and make a living from.
1: So, so during this time, you know, I think triathlon for age groupers particularly, but hopefully pros too, is about finding joy and and being happy and doing something you love. And, um, and obviously you love coaching, you love competing. What have you found during some of this time of not only going through your, your cancer, but also COVID that maybe brought you a lot of joy that you are surprised about?
0: Oh Well, I thought I enjoyed life before, you know, I thought I would feel such gratitude in every moment just for every experience I had or everything I was able to do. But that gratitude is just, you know, magnifying, magnified times a million, um, you know, just feeling so grateful to be alive. And, and it, it means that you just appreciate every breath you take. Um, but during this time, you know, something that everyone can relate to, um, having this extra time and, and being forced in a way to be at home. I think we're all really starting to appreciate more what we are able to do when we don't have to be stuck at home. We're appreciating more the life that we had before this and, Now what we have the opportunity for is when this is all over, we have the opportunity to not just get back to that life, but to make it even better than it was before, because we're going to appreciate it so much more. So I think it gives you the time to reflect on perhaps those things that you took for granted before, Um, you know, taking for granted, you know, going to a swim squad and having a ton of people around you that are pushing you and, and, and helping you, you know, make progress in the sport and having that companionship and the encouragement. Like, we will all appreciate that so much more when we're able to get back to that. Appreciating more, you know, the ability to race and, and the volunteers on the course. And I, I think that our, and that's just in regards to racing, but I think for all of us, we will have so much more of an appreciation for, you know, times when we can truly live, you know, with no boundaries, um, when all of this pandemic is over. And, and I hope that's a case. And I hope that everybody having this time at home is strengthening their marriages and their relationships or their relationships with their kids. Um, and that that will bring them, you know, that much more fulfillment when it comes back to real life and getting back into doing things, you know, the way you always have.
1: Yeah, my daughter and I have kind of been binge-watching different shows and, and I really look forward to that hour or two at night just just sitting there with her, you know. Um, have you found some, like, really cool new things that maybe you and Beck do or yourself, just yourself, or maybe you became a gourmet chef? I don't know. Maybe you are a gourmet chef, but maybe you <laughs> came, start started some new things or whatever as you went through this.
0: Yeah, well, we've um – Gosh, we've worked a lot on our business. I mean, Beck mostly because I've kind of been um, not doing that much, um, especially when I was going through, you know, the big part of this whole um, getting over the leukemia. Um, But just that time together, like you're saying, Bill, you know, that time just binge watching together on the couch and really appreciating You know, those moments of just being together and not having anywhere else to be, not rushing somewhere else. You know, um, before all of this happened, I was traveling all the time. I do a lot of public speaking and, and I was traveling probably three days out of every week and then coaching, you know, when I'm home and You know, we didn't get a lot of that quiet time just hanging out. We hang out with our horses. Uh, We run a rescue ranch. We've got 25 horses here on the property and they've helped me heal. And I'll just go out there in the pasture and, you know, pat all the horses and, you know, feed them carrots. And so it's just really getting comfortable. And I think this is hard for a lot of people, but getting comfortable with not doing much at all getting comfortable. I don't know if you guys can do this, just getting comfortable going and sitting outside on a bench and, you know, looking at the birds flying or, or um, just sitting there and thinking. Um, there's great peacefulness in that. And, and it's really rejuvenating. And that's something I've had to do a lot of while I've been recovering. But I found it's just an incredible time to just think and appreciate and kind of look around at all the grace around us. And, and that kind of I'll call it mindfulness, I think, is really not only healing, but strengthening and and gives you that much more energy for everything else in your life.
2: You were speaking a few minutes ago about, you know, needing needing help during your leukemia treatment, you know that you just couldn't do it all on your own. Um, and that was kind of a new experience for you. And as you were describing that, I, I have to tell you, one of the things that jumped into my mind was this part in your book, surfacing where you were talking about, you had moved to Colorado, you were doing, you were just starting to do some real serious training and your coach at the time, Yoli, um, had your group doing your very first ride up toward. and it started snowing. And the way that you described it in the, in the book is that, you know, everybody else jumped in the van to get warm, but you kept going. And, and, and there's a drive in you that, um, you know, that, I don't know if it's a a survival drive or if it's just a, you know, a goal drive or, you know, what it is, but when you were diagnosed with leukemia, was there, what, you know, was it, what was your reaction? Was it, I'm going to beat this thing right from the beginning or was it, you know, I mean, what was the reaction?
0: Oh, wow. Um, nothing quite like that moment when you hear those words and, uh, it. I, I was in shock. I was terrified. I was devastated. My wife was listening to what the doctor was saying, and she was just in floods of tears. And and I looked in her eyes, and and I just had never felt such love for her and such love from her in that moment. And in that moment, in feeling that intensity of love, I said to myself, like, this is not my time to go this is not my time to go. I said, I, I am going to survive and I'm not just going to survive, but I am going to thrive. And I made that decision. And I think this is so incredibly powerful. Now, now I was not in, in good shape. You know, um, I think my chances of survival were like less than 10%, but there was no part of me that was going to give into that. I am not a statistic. You know, I'm Siri Lindley and I've proven, you know, when I was 23 years old and I fell in love with triathlon, I had no idea how to swim, but I set the goal that I wanted to be the best in the world one day. Like that was ridiculous. People laughed at me. They thought I was an idiot and I was horrible. I came in near dead last in my first, la- in my first race. But eight years later, I became the world champion. And I needed in that moment to remember that, that I am not a statistic. I'm Siri Lindley and I've proven that the impossible is really possible and I'm going to do that again because life matters to me these the people in my life matter I have so much more love to give so much more work to do so much more living to do and when you make that decision and and any you know I hear from so many people that are being faced with with a diagnosis. And it's just, my God, my heart just just breaks for them in that moment. But I say to them, you have to make the decision right now that you are going to survive, period. Because in everything that happens, everything that you think, everything that you do is focused on that outcome. And that's hard because, you know, um, I don't think there's anything harder than, than going through cancer. It's just... Um, I just got, I was just a former shadow of myself. You know, I remember lying in my hospital room. I was in the hospital for about a month um, or more and just so weak and so sick and so just like dropping into the depths of depression. And I would catch myself because I thought if I think this way, if I focus on how bad it hurts and how sick I am and how weak I am, if I focus on that, it's only going to make me weaker and I'm only going to get sicker. And so I would turn my my focus from, from how bad I felt to how grateful I was to look over and see my adorable mom who slept on that uncomfortable couch in the hospital room for 30 nights, you know, to be by my side. And my amazing wife who came every single day and sat with me, you know, I, I turned it to gratitude. Gratitude was my bridge from complete like depression and helplessness to hopefulness and i had also put all over the walls in my hospital room vision boards of everything i loved of of me coaching and riding the horses and my mom and my sister and my wife and vision boards everywhere and the most important thing was this big huge photo of me winning the world championships in 2001 and that was my reminder that was like remember who you are you did something that seemed absolutely impossible And you can do that again. And this was like how I disciplined my focus every single day to go from, you know, a place that was really weakening me and wasn't going to help me heal or survive to a place that gave me energy and gave me hope and made me feel with all my heart that no matter how bad it got that I was going to survive. I don't even know what your question was, and I apologize. <laughs> I don't know what that, but hopefully you're okay with it.
2: Well, well, it's great because what I was, what I, I guess the question I was really asking is, do you think the the wire your wiring that makes you made you a world champion, the wiring that knows how to visualize an outcome and knows how to focus on an outcome and knows how to align everything in their, you know, to align everything to achieve that outcome in athletics. Did you draw on those same, you know, strengths and ideas and concepts in a fight for your life?
0: 1 million percent, 1 million percent every day. I felt so grateful for my entire experience through this sport. Because it does, it gives me that discipline. And and in this respect, it wasn't disciplining myself to go out training. It was disciplining my thought process and my focus. Um, it was using that grit. And you know, there'd be days that were awful. But you know, you 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 fall down, you get back up again. You dust yourself off. You get back at it. You know, you you keep believing that you're going to be making progress. Every single aspect of being an athlete in the sport of triathlon um, came to use to help me beat this cancer. And that's huge. And that's something, you know, I don't think there's any more powerful experience uh, than sport as far as um, not only kind of allowing you to discover what you're really made of, but teaching you the tools that you need to overcome any difficulty in your life.
1: So let, let's pretend that I, I have 100 kids, let's say they're 10-year-old kids, and they wanted me to get a guest speaker. And I thought, oh, Siri would be a great guest speaker. And I was to introduce you. Would you rather be introduced as Siri Lindley, world champion triathlete, or Siri Lindley, world champion survivor?
0: <laughs> world champion survivor. For sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. And truly the the grit, the relentlessness, um, the focus I had to wanting to leave no stone unturned. You know, I had a routine I did every single day to help me be as strong as I could for my treatments and to help me heal after the bone marrow transplant. Like all of that discipline, the tools, the strategies came from being an athlete but in the end like this was my most beautiful triumph you know this was truly that race that um was so overwhelming to know that okay i'm at the start line of 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 this race this getting through leukemia and surviving it scariest thing in the whole wide world and um to get through it and to be where I am today is absolutely, like I said, my greatest triumph and and something um, that required every ounce of my heart, my soul, my spirit. It required me to, to become more of who I am. It required everything of me um, and therefore was, I believe, way more difficult than even becoming a world champion. I worked harder to live than I even did to become a world champion in the sport. Hmm.
1: Do you, huh? Wow. That's powerful. Um, do you, do you, I guess look back and, um, would you almost, I guess be proud of it, right? I mean, proud of your effort. And I know it's weird to say you're proud of being a cancer survivor probably, but it must be almost a very proud thing as well.
0: I'm I am I'm very proud of myself. You know, I I look back and you know, I I don't even know how I don't even know how I got through some of those days, you know. Um it was just so hard. Um so I am I'm like super proud of myself uh for being where I am today cuz it was hard. It's really hard.
1: Yeah.
2: we appreciate you being so vulnerable with us today and um and sharing this i'm going to uh shift gears on us a little bit and um i want to talk about your book surfacing if we can for just a minute i i want to first tell you that um i love that uh with the i'm i'm i do audiobooks uh, more often than i read text uh textbooks but um and I really do appreciate that you did this in your own voice. It made a big difference, especially knowing you. I I had to hear your book in another person's voice. I think I wouldn't have been able to handle it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was great to hear that. I, I wanted to just, there are a couple of things and I I'll be honest, I haven't finished it yet. Um, but I, there are a few things in there that I thought really pieced some things together for me. And I'm just going to pick out a couple of fun ones. And I hope we can have fun with this. So, I learned for the first time that the person who I think advised you to become a pro triathlete was Karen Smyers.
0: Yes. Oh my and, God. And, yeah. and
2: and so I, the, there's two things about that that I thought were really cool. First of all, that you, you weren't sure that you wanted to go pro yet. You wanted to win nationals um, outright before you would uh, declare yourself going pro. And Karen... You just were talking to her the day before Worlds, as I understand it, and and she advised you to go pro. Would you tell us like why she advised you to go pro and kind of how you were receiving that? And then um, I've, uh, the other thing that I thought was really funny was that she happened to have a beer in her hand when you were talking to her, which is Karen Smyers, you know, the yeah. beer before the race. So. Um, but yeah, talk about that inter- interaction with Karen Smyers and kind of what she meant to you at the time.
0: Oh, she was my idol. And actually, this all happened after the race. It was the okay. World Championships. And um, she had won Kona that year. And then she won the Short Curse World championship. She was just she was always my idol. I just thought she seemed like such a nice person and such an incredible athlete. And I went out to the beach after the race and and saw her and she was there drinking a beer. And I thought, oh, my God, there's Karen Smyers. And she was so nice. She came right up to me and was like, how'd your race go? And I said, oh, you know, I came, this is, I I can't believe I was like sad with third at a world championship. Like that was like amazing. But I said to her, oh, well, I came in third, you know, which is great. But I told myself that, you know, I can't turn pro until I win an age group world championship. And she's like, that's ridiculous. You came in third. You know, that's so great. She said, if you really want to reach the next level, turn pro now and that will stretch you, that will force you to get better. That is what you need to reach that next level. And literally, all I needed was to hear those words because I probably would have kept trying for years. You know, it's hard to win an age group national or world championship. That's like huge. Um so I took her advice and, and I decided to turn pro and, um, thank God I did because it really did push me to a whole new level and she was right with that. But, you know, those words coming from your absolute hero and idol, you know, that's pretty powerful. So I wasn't about to go against what she was advising.
2: The, um, the other part of your story, i I know I'm jumping around here from a chronological perspective a little bit, going going further back in time, but you had um you had uh been a spin instructor at Rally Sport. And um there was also uh, a time when you were um getting instructed by Jane Scott at Boulder Aquatic Masters. And um, I thought that was interesting because we actually just interviewed uh his sister his brother or her brother Dave yesterday. Um But she gave you a small wooden horse at some point, as I remember from the book. Yes. Talk about what that token meant to you. And do you still have it today?
0: I still have it today. And and what's crazy is that was at a time when I wasn't even really into horses at all. But Jane was so, and still is, such an important person in my life. You know, she was such a huge advocate advocate for me and and wanted to see me improve because I really didn't know how to swim. And she knew how badly I wanted to make it in the sport. And every time I would show up at practice, you know, she'd throw me in a lane way faster than than where I, what I belonged in, but she'd throw me in there and she'd say, Siri, just hang on as long as you can. And then when you can't hang on any longer, just pull to the side, get out of everyone's way and then try again. And that's kind of how she got me improving my swim. She was just incredible. She was such a great uh, coach for me in swimming. And, And she became a really good friend. And she also knew that I had a lot of anxiety around the swim in races. Obviously, you know, when you're not a swimmer, it's, it's, it provokes anxiety on race day. And she gave me that horse, you know, she said it was a good luck charm. She'd gotten it somewhere really special and I brought it everywhere with me. It was in my transition area at every race, you know, I'd hold on to it before the race and it calmed me and it kind of just reminded me of what I had inside of me and reminded me to be brave, to be courageous and to just do the best that I could. Um, so that was amazing. It meant the absolute world to me. And and it's especially, you know, kind of symbolic because of what I do now with horses in my life, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But um, it's crazy that she gave me a horse and not like a fish, you know, when it had to do with swimming. But um, it meant the world to me. And so did she. She's just such a tremendous influence in my life and um, really helped me, basically taught me how to swim, which I'm forever grateful for.
1: Well, talk, talk about that community a little bit. You know, we just mentioned Jane and then Aaron Carson, of course, with Rally, and, and of course, Dave Scott and all the people in that that area that all the, these wonderful coaches, these world class champion athletes. Talk about how that community supports you and you support them and what it means to you.
0: Uh, this community means the world to me. I mean, from the very beginning, my first coach, Yoli Cassis, who was just the most amazing coach. Um, I always tell people that one of the most incredible things she ever said to me when she first started coaching me is she said, Siri, I will always care so much more about who you are as a person than what you achieve as an athlete. And that really, you know, stuck with me. It was all about, you know, being the best person I could be, um, it didn't matter if I was winning races. It was about being a good person first and then going out and being the best athlete you could be. But Yoli Cassis as my coach and Jane Scott and Dave Scott was always around and giving incredible advice and such a, a great support. All the other athletes, you know, at that time we had so many, um, we had like Greg Welch training here and um, Mike Pig and Scott Tinley. And, you know, there was uh, just so many incredible athletes. Sue Latshaw, there was a a great community and they all were just so accepting. You know, everybody was really trying to just push each other to be that much better. Um, rally sport, you know, thank God for rally sport and Aaron Carson, they gave me a job and, you know, I was a struggling pro. I wasn't making any money. And, um, I'll never forget. I was working at rally sport. I was a spin instructor. And then I also was making, I I worked at the deli. So I'd make sandwiches and coffee and, you know, lunch for everybody. And I'll never forget one night I, I had no food at home because I just, I was spending my money trying to get to races and all of this. And I got caught taking bagels from the closet and putting them in my backpack for dinner. (laughs) And Erin Carson. She was so sweet. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I just don't have any food at home. And I, you know, I I just wanted to bring this home for dinner. And she's like, Siri, don't worry. Look, we want to help you. And she was always just so supportive. And so, you know, that's something that's like the most humiliating thing in the world. You know, I'm stealing bagels from, you know, the deli where, where I work because I can't afford food and she made me feel okay about it. And she, you know, gave me love instead of, you know, firing me. And I'm so grateful for that. So this community, it's incredible. It's a, a, a tight knit community where everybody really cares about one another. And I think that, you know, that's such a gift for someone just uh, beginning in the sport, you know, to have that kind of, not just people to model that are amazing, um, but, and people to learn from, but also people to, you know, support and encourage you as well.
1: So has this community, how have you transitioned from a people community to a horse community? How's that transition gone and the kinds of people you've met in that horse community that are probably completely different?
0: Uh, This has been an amazing transition for me. You know, I, I rescued my first horse in 2015 and she came into my life and and literally changed my life. I mean, she helped me overcome fears and limitations that were holding me back, I believed in, in my career. And, you know, it helped me up my game, not just in my coaching, but, uh, you know, getting the courage to do public speaking. I now I speak for Tony Robbins, sometimes in front of like, you know, 15,000 people. And I would have never done that before ever, you know, I would never had that kind of courage, but this horse really, um, transformed my life in, in so many ways. And after, and also I, uh, there's so many parallels when you train a horse, um, to training athletes and there's too much to go into as far as me explaining that, but um, she gave me a lot of new perspectives on how to bring out the best in my athletes, and and I found that fascinating that I was learning all of this uh, from a horse. Um, basically, what happened is uh, I watched uh, one day. I thought, "What am I say? Why did I have to rescue this horse? What am I rescuing her from?" And I got online on Google and I searched something like, you know, rescuing horses. Why? And this video came up of. Um, horses being slaughtered for human consumption. And it is the most brutal, horrific, horrible thing I've ever seen in my life. I literally, I'm not being dramatic, but I fell to the ground in, in floods of tears. My wife came running up the steps and thought somebody had died. I pointed at the screen and she saw the video and we knew our lives were never gonna be the same again because we just couldn't bear to see the brutality that was happening to these beautiful animals that, you know, had already in one short year, you know, changed our lives. So we quickly developed our nonprofit Believe Ranch and Rescue and save. we've saved 116 horses um, in the past three years. And we're, we formed another second nonprofit called Horses in Our Hands that is working so incredibly hard to pass the SAFE Act uh in Congress, which would ban the slaughter of horses. Um, so all of this has happened, but you know, we've been doing all of this along with our coaching and everything else we do. And and I think it's actually brought even more fuel to our coaching because we realize that when we have success coaching, that will bring us a little bit more financial freedom to save more horses and ban the slaughter of horses, basically. So um, it's been really powerful. I can't say that we're involved in a big community, like a horse community. um, But the horses have become our community. And they've added so much to our lives. You know, yes, we're rescuing them. But in so many ways, they're rescuing us as well. And we run equine therapy programs here, you know, Anywhere from groups of cancer patients to um, people that have PTSD or anxiety or fear, we want to run a program I've been thinking about for retired athletes that are having a hard time with the transition. So I think these horses have only added to what we do with our athletes and with coaching and with the other aspects of our lives and so we're so deeply grateful for their influence on us. And, and we hope to invite more people in so that they can discover the power of horses um, and understand how these two things really are closely related triathlon and horses. I know that makes no sense at all. Um, but come and experience some time with us, and, and you'll see how that works.
1: And what is it just a financial commitment to, to save a horse?
0: Oh my God. I mean, every, basically every penny Beck and I make goes to the horses because we have 25 on our property right now. And every month it's, uh, $5,000 to feed the herd, um, to save a horse. Um, Normally it wouldn't cost that much, but we're, we're going up against these kill buyers come to all the auctions where the horses are. People dump their horses at these auctions. Most of them are healthy and strong and in great shape. And the kill buyers have a quota each week to meet, uh, to send these horses off to be slaughtered. So we'll bid on the horse and the kill buyer just ups the bid, ups the bid, ups the bid until we just can't afford it anymore. Mm. So, um, it's really sad because we're there to save these horses and to keep them from being slaughtered. But the kill buyers make it nearly impossible a lot of times, but for one horse, just to get them off the lot, um, is typically anywhere from a thousand to $1,500. Um, and then from there, you know, probably about $5,000 a year to care for that one animal. Um, but they're worth every penny. Like I said, they've just uh, changed our lives. They've truly helped me heal uh, from leukemia. I know they've been a huge part in my being cancer-free today. Um, but yeah, it's it's a you know we we love doing this. We're so passionate about it. But it definitely it's at a big cost. So we rely on our donors and. I always say to Beck, I'm like, Beck, if we could just get like 20,000 people to donate $1 each, just $1 each, that would help us feed our herd for four months. And um, so we're trying to figure stuff like that out. Neither of us are good at asking for things. It's a little bit easier when you're asking for the horses. Um, But, yeah, we're figuring that all out. Thank
1: you for asking. Yeah, I, I just wanted to bring some. Yeah, I don't think people understand at all. I I didn't, so figured.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that I'd like to just follow it up with, you know, like someone's gonna be listening to this, and and you're gonna reach some people who you know are gonna be have have a little bit of compassion and a little bit of money. Hopefully, what what can people do, and, and can you direct them on how they can help you?
0: Oh, I mean, any help would be absolutely amazing. There there are two ways to help. One, if you want to help with the horses that we have now and saving more horses, um, believe org is our website and we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, like I said, every dollar helps. If somebody donates a dollar, we send them a thank you card. We're like so grateful. Um, the other way that's a really simple way that doesn't require making a donation. Our other nonprofit is horses in our hands. And that website is www.horsesinourhands.org. And this is the group that is going to ban horse slaughter. And we're actually getting really, really close. Um, there's a way, and all of you can do this, um, you just go to our website, there's a tag that says ban horse slaughter. Now you click on that, you put your name and address in, and none of that information will be shared with any anybody outside of just Washington DC where this is all being creative and created. Um, and basically what we do is we have a letter all set, and by you submitting your name and pressing submit, we send a letter to your legislator, your local legislator, um, encouraging them to ban slaughter. And so far we've had 50,000 letters sent, um, which is amazing. We're well known now on the hill and people know about horses in our hands and they know what we're doing. But uh, the more people sending letters, the more powerful a voice we have. And that takes one minute of your time, literally, uh, to just go to the website, click that link, put your name in and you will be a part of making history. We've been trying to pass this act for 19 years. Um, and we truly believe that in the next six months or a year that we're going to make it happen, um, which is pretty awesome wow. with your help, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of, course. of course.
2: Wow. Well, Siri, this has been, um, a lot of fun catching up with you again. I, I, um, it, we will never let it go into the three years before we do this again. <laughs> I <laughs> hope that you'll uh, come back, uh, sooner than that. I'm sure that we will ask sooner than that. I, I do want to circle back on something that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. You said that a lot has changed since you wrote your book. Um, do you really? Are, do you think that you will write another book?
0: I absolutely will. It's yeah. a matter of um, finding the time to do that. Um, hopefully, getting Julia Pollerino, who helped me with my first book, to get on board along with me. But. So much has happened since then. I feel like I've learned so much uh, in my coaching, in my life, in my relationship, and um, stuff that I really want to share. So that will be coming. Give me a year or two, and it it will be there. But thank you.
2: Man, she's just so easy to talk to. Right. She just makes you feel
1: so good when you talk to her. There's always a a little bit of a tear somewhere in there when you talk with her, right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, she's just, you know, she's just, I don't know. She's one of those people that, you know, you're, you're comfortable, you just get really comfortable talking to. She just makes you comfortable talking to her. And I don't know.
1: There's a reason why uh, she works. She speaks with Tony Robbins, right? I mean, she's very right. Yeah. I mean, how lucky, how lucky were, were we to be able to have some time with her? Right.
2: That's yeah, exactly. I feel so grateful for her time and, and, always feel better for having been with her, you know
1: what i mean? Right. Yeah, she's yeah, an energy richer for provider, not an energy distract detractor, right? Right. And
2: i really have got to introduce my daughter Morgan to Siri and Beck. She's such an animal lover. I told her about the about Siri pushing the dead deer off the road. Oh and, god. And, and it's just so Morgan too. Yeah, that's funny. Huh. Well, and, and folks uh, really recommend you check out Siri's book, Surfacing. Uh, it's a, it's obviously a couple of years old now, but it really is a great book. Uh, recommend, recommend you read it. There's a link here in the show notes.
1: By the way, I'm really jealous how much you read. I just, I wish I had did that. I, I know I can't, I can read, believe it or not. Um, but I just. I'm so envious of how well you you make it happen. I I know you listen to it sometimes too, but
2: oh yeah. I still I can pull it off half the time.
1: I need to get into some sort of habit of reading more. <laughs> I feel like I'm just in this little rock of and once in a while I'll poke my head out and read something, but I, I just need to get into that habit. Well you're you're spending your time doing other things that give I know you
2: information, right? I just wish I didn't have to sleep. You know what I mean? You, you're a talk you like to talk to people. You're a good, you know.
1: I do, but and that's a good way to learn too, but there's always that. Yeah. I used to read a lot. I wish I would get back into that habit. I just need to do that. instead of it, a book cl- we'll, we'll start a book club. <laughs> that's the trick. <laughs> but those book clubs, they always turn into wine clubs. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. I've been in a couple uh, not of Not
2: ours, years. man. <laughs> so, Bill, I got a random sports question for you. Did Uh-oh. you watch the Chiefs-Texans game? I
1: watched some of it. Yeah.
2: I, in, I enjoyed I was it. Just in, in the first few minutes there was something that wasn't adding up for me. The noise level of the crowd totally did not match what you saw in the stadium. It sounded way louder like the like the crowd was much bigger than
1: what you saw. Well, they were pumping in noise, I think. Ah. So 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 I don't so that's been an interesting topic. So Like, I was listening to it on the radio when I was coming back from Boulder, and we can talk about the reason I was up there later. But, um, and so you could definitely hear the crowd noise, but the announcers did say that the crowd that was there was making more noise than they would have expected. But I do know that the NFL um, is allowing teams to pump in crowd noise, and there's certain requirements. They have so many decibels that they're allowed to pump in, and they're all supposed to use the same noise, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, that's been a topic on the sports talk because they're, they're saying, well, Hey, if you, have, you know, if you're a Broncos stadium, you should, should have rec- recorded your own noise from previous and use your, cause every stadium has their sort of little thing, you know, and they think that the home team should be able to have their own noise, but they're right now the NFL saying, here's your noise package. This is what you huh. use.
0: That's and then,
1: yeah. And then the other, the other discussion on that is. If, because not every team's going to have people in the stadium, some cities won't allow it. So they're saying the sports guys are like, "Hey, if you allow, like in Kansas City, case they had sixteen thousand people allowed in there, if you're going to get sixteen thousand people, then you have to choose if you let the people in or you use the crowd noise. But you can't do both.
2: Ha! Can't <laughs> double down. You can't Let's double can't down.
1: Dip. Right. And that's not fair to all these other cities who don't allow anybody in. You know what I mean? You have to make a choice. That's their take on it. I thought that was pretty interesting.
2: I also noticed you seem to uh, have some insight on this. I also saw that they have these proximity chips that they're required to wear. I don't know about
1: that. No. What is that?
2: So all players, coaches, and staff are required to wear proximity chips to be able to accurately do contact tracing. They'll know. Who was within range of others and for how long?
1: Like 24-7 before the game, I, all the week long, whatever.
2: It sounded like it. Interesting. Or, or at least when you're in public or something. Interesting, so, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, so yeah, I had a question too. Like why are the coaches wearing masks on the sidelines when the, presumably yeah. they've been around each other for all the last month and they're in their own little bubble? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I guess just in case they picked up something from a I kid
1: who came back from school,
2: right? You know, you still don't want to potentially you still got to keep the
1: I know. It just seems weird keep though. It down. yeah. All these yeah. players are running around without masks and these coaches. Yeah, I well just... it's tour, right? Tours the same way. How so? Right? All all staff,
2: all staff, uh fans, everybody, the the team has to wear masks. You know that's what you see. um, You know the teams, even in their cars, they're wearing masks. And um oh, sure, yeah. But the but the player players in this case, the riders take off their masks just before they start, and then they put them on right after they finish. Even when they're on stage, they've got masks on.
1: True, at the award yeah. ceremony. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, huh.
2: yeah, yeah. Be careful out there in South Dakota. It's got the highest per capita <laughs> rate,
1: man. Seriously. Really? Oh boy. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Be careful. Oh, shit. All right. Folks,
2: our news is sponsored by Buddy Insurance. Buddy Insurance is the kind of peace of mind you need as an active outdoor enthusiast. Buddy's mission is simple, to help people fearlessly enjoy an active and outdoor lifestyle. You can get on-demand accident insurance and make sure you have cash to pay your bills and fill in any gaps between you and your current insurance. Uh, Go to buddyinsurance.com and create an account. There's no commitment and no charge to create one, but once you have it, it's really easy to just pick up your phone and and in a couple of clicks, you've got coverage for the day. Check it out, buddyinsurance.com. All right, Bill, in endurance news, I got an update for you on the tour. So uh, yesterday was stage 12. What a week. We've got that stage, get out. This is a this is the longest stage of the tour. It was two hundred and seventeen kilometers or one hundred twenty-five miles. That's
1: the, yeah, That's the longest stage. Yeah, it's a big day. It's the longest stage. I wonder how how fast was the fastest person.
2: Uh, you know, for yesterday's stage, I don't know exactly what his time was, but Primoz uh, Roglic is still in yellow. Uh, Mark Hershey of Team Sunweb actually won stage twelve in a getaway, so he had a you know, a rare solo getaway that worked. And, uh, and my buddy, Sepp Koos from Jumbo Visma is in 27th overall. This is the guy who's from uh, Durango. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm so excited about. So I'm glad to see that he's still killing it and crushing it.
1: Did he go to, there was... to Fort Lewis by chance? Do you know? Fort Lewis? Yeah. No, Durango. I, I know, but did he go to Fort Lewis? Oh, or... did
2: he go to Fort Lewis? I don't know. That's a great question. I wonder. We got to do some research on Sep He yeah. certainly has the
1: Wikipedia page by now. But I mean, I'm wondering if Dave Hagen could introduce us. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, gotta, I bet he, they've got to know each other. Yeah,
2: yeah. Let's see if we can uh, get some information here on Sepp Kuss here real fast. He does have a Wikipedia page. Let's see what he what they say here about him. Sepp Kuss started out in mountain bike racing as a junior, and then he went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Uh, okay. and won two races as the collegiate mountain bike nationals in two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen uh sepp began to race on the road where he quickly found his footing and at the end of two thousand fifteen, coos won yet another collegiate mountain bike title, yeah, man, this guy
1: he's a stud, yeah obviously <laughs> yeah well we'll have, I bet we could track him down through some contacts we both have, okay.
2: Yeah, we gotta. That would be awesome. Uh, what? Oh, so the controversy. So last week I talked about the controversy of Julian Alaphilippe taking a bottle in an unauthorized zone right after the twenty k mark. Which, by the way, I also learned varies from stage to stage. The uh, uh. The, the referees can change. Where where that period is, or where that spot is on any given stage, that that happened to be on that stage at the twenty k mark. This week's controversy was in stage eleven, so two days ago, it was a sprint finish, four rider photo finish, and Peter Sagan kind of changed the direction of his line. He was, mm. he, and he kind of did a little bit of a headbutt to to kind of hold his hold his his line. It kind of went out of his line. He came in second place. And I'm talking photo line, four wheels lined up on the finish. Hard to tell kind of who was oh, wow. you know, second, third, fourth. He was in second, but they yanked his second place from him. Um, and basically put him to the back of the pack for stage 11 because of that or stage. Yeah. Stage 11 because of that.
1: Hmm.
2: But, but what unfolded after the fact was when you look at it again in the replay, (laughs) hundreds of replays, he was actually running out of room. He was on the side by the barriers. Oh, yeah. And he was literally, I mean, his wheel was almost on the barrier and he was running out of space. So he needed to push to to not basically hit the barrier. Mm. The officials took that into account and said he still changed his line. Doesn't matter. It was unsafe sprinting.
1: Really? Yeah. I didn't know there was such a thing, I guess, but hmm. I don't know Not, that much uh, about it. But
2: Anyway, thought that was interesting. Yeah. So there's your tour update. Uh, and then I thought this was kind of cool. Alistair Brownlee wins the... Hevland Triathlon this past Sunday. So PTO board member Alistair Brownlee, after lining up to start the World Triathlon Series in Hamburg on Saturday at 4 p.m., then flew back to the U.K. right after the race, arriving in the U.K. at midnight in time to honor his commitment to the Hevlin Triathlon on Sunday. He won the Hevlin Triathlon race and set a new course record, all on just a few hours of sleep. And then after the race, Alistair does this. This year has been a tough year for the professional athletes and the charitable sector, so I'm going to donate half of my prize money to the professional athletes who raced and didn't win prize money, and the other half is going to the Brownlee Foundation.
1: It's kind of cool, huh? That's very cool. Yeah. Nice guy. Yep. It'd be fun to get him on the show. <laughs> right? I wonder if we
2: could do that. I'll bet you. I met him once. Yeah. Well, we Yeah, we met him in Kona. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. All right, Bill, what is new in the three hundred three, my friend?
1: Oh, you know, we're on the heels of the lookout mountain try, which had a couple of fun stories with oh, Sophie Lynn when, you know, winning crushing the women's record there and our own Kirsten race. and our own Kirsten Smith, who could be her mom age wise got second, which is pretty amazing at 48 years old and I've having a kid and she got second. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. And then, um, you know, all the four people over the age of 80 competed in that race. And that was a pretty hard course. Um, Uh, which I think hard course, a lot of hills and, uh, yeah, you did it. And, um, I thought about that for a while, you know, I'm thinking about these, like my mom or my aunt or, you know, other people that y'all, everybody listening that knows in their eighties and I thought, you know, yeah, the endurance is amazing, but, Just the dexterity to handle a bike going downhills at 30, 40, 25, whatever miles an hour, or going uphills, barely able to push through this pedal stroke because of the steepness at 84 years old. That's pretty impressive.
2: So there was a woman who was in, she was a uh, Team USA, she had a Team USA kit. She was in her, I would probably say 70s. That's
1: Eileen that we interviewed.
2: Yeah, uh, it was another woman. Oh, it was another it was, woman. Okay. There was another woman um, who was, in, I think her, can't remember her name, but it wasn't her. Uh, oh, okay. And she actually came out of my lane a half a lap ahead of me. Mm. So she was ahead of me coming out of transition and on the bike. I passed her going up the hill, mm-hmm. uh, that first little leg on the bike. And then she came down. She passed me on the downhill on forty that mile and a half really? two mile stretch, tucked really, and I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> so I funny. got behind her and just kind of followed her downhill until we made that turn onto Paradise Paradise, and, yeah, and and that hill and um, and then I you know I out her, but but I was speaking of dexterity and, and descending and yeah, that's funny balance. I was like I was so impressed.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Huh that's hilarious. That was pretty funny. Yeah, so that that was good. And then we've got another race this coming weekend, the Littlefoot Trathlon out at Bear Creek. And then, you know, at the end of the month we've got the last call triathlon, which is gaining a lot of attention because of Sister Madonna Booter, who's going to be there flying in from I think Oregon. And she's she's racing in the ninety plus category. And of course, that's that's pretty rare. I don't know how many races have a ninety year old racing, probably not many um, if any, so that's going to be fun. Um, and I'm going up to the wildlife try. Like I mentioned, there's still a few things happening it's going to start to get a little quiet, I'm afraid, but, um, had a good night last night, uh, filming the filming. probably not the right word, but I'm old. So I'll use it. Um, is, uh, the high school mountain bike league giving out their virtual awards. They had a Yeti skills contest. They had a Delta Dennis smile, logo contest that was going to, that's supposed to become a, um, temporary tattoo. And then they had like some other challenges that they, they had first place for second place varsity, you know, JV sophomore, freshman, and they have four divisions. So it took a while to read through all the names, but, uh, we've, we were, we got that on video coming out on Sunday. Um, so there's a few things happening. Um, yeah, well, in the cross season, bike we'll racing. Do- yeah, we just interviewed Lance Panagouti. Um who announced all of the uh, cross season. So we've got seven races with him, um, the Shimano GRX series, and then he's, we've got the state championships. So there's at least those races in place. Uh, the Karen Hornbostel time trial started this week. Um, I interviewed Larry Potter yesterday. I've got an article coming out this morning with the answers to some questions about how it went. And of course, Ryan Munson's photos and a link to all those. Um so, all right, yeah. so
2: how did it go? I so I was supposed to race on Wednesday, but we were, we did a recording with Tim and Rennie. Um, what what, uh, what did Larry say? How'd it go?
1: It went. He thought it was great. It was. He was. People were pretty darn enthused, even though they were cold. Um, <laughs> and he thought the turnout. He he felt the turnout was really good. They they've almost. I think there's 20 slots left or something overall. <clears throat> they are selling pretty well. They've had to reduce some of the slot sizes because of um, trying to be a little more social distance. And as the light gets shorter, they have to get people off the course by six 30. And I did ask him about moving it to the fall permanently uh, or having both. Actually, you could kind of do some in the spring and some of the fall and he didn't think that would work so much, but I apparently next year, they're planning to redo the road. So they may have to move it to the fall anyway for at least next year. Um, oh, great news. That's, that's, that's newsworthy. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, they, they struggle getting that thing going. I mean, the park is not enthused with that event. So like bicycle Colorado had to really step up to make it happen um, and really do some convincing to allow it to even happen. I think the that park just doesn't like it. And I don't know why exactly, if they just get major pushback from people that go to the park and don't like the roads being used by the cyclist or whatever it is, but it's, it's a struggle to get that approved every year. So I sure wish they'd move it to Chatfield. If it was in Chatfield, I I might actually do it. It would be great at Chatfield. It'd be awesome at Chatfield. And by the way, I know a perfect 10 mile course. Yeah, I know you do, (laughs) but they could also look at, there's some industrial parks they could go to. There seems like there could be some other places. Um, I think, Cherry Creek is, personally for me, it's difficult to get to at that time of day, but those roads are no fun at all. Yeah, I agree. But I guess everything was good. They had more first timers than they expected, so that was cool.
2: Well, hopefully the weather's a little better. Uh, I'm a fair weather racer and 40 degrees, is <laughs> just too cold for me. All right.
1: Uh, what a crazy weather week we had. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy.
2: Well, cool. Well, that's a lot of stuff going on in the 303. Folks, our video of the week is, we talked about, you know, Siri Lindley being a great motivational speaker. And I found a really great uh, video of her uh, on this topic of becoming a world champion. And I think it's inspirational. It's really just her on a stage. Um, Kepler, uh, It's a Kepler Speaker, Kepler speakers.com video. Recommend you check it out. Uh, links here in the show notes. We've got some Exciting interviews coming up. I teased a second ago, we've got Tim O'Donnell and Rennie joining us here for a uh, a chat about one of a couple of their really big announcements. Uh, Rennie being uh, uh, added to the Aquasphere team and their even bigger announcement that they are due to have another baby on December 31st, yeah, New Year's Day, or no, uh, New Year's Eve, they said, I think. So that's December 31st. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. We've got Amy Dixon, who is a visually impaired professional triathlete and a member of the USA Paratriathlon National Team. Uh, She's the reigning Aquathlon World Champion and U.S. National Champion Triathlete and Paracycling Time Trial National Champion. She's ranked sixth in the world uh, in the Paralympic International rankings. We've got her coming up, and, of course, you heard us talk about Uh, some time that we're going to get with Sister Madonna Booter at the Last Call Triathlon. So lots of exciting stuff coming up. Thanks again for listening this week. Be sure to follow us on at 303 Endurance and at 303 Triathlon. And of course, please go to iTunes, give us a rating and a comment. We'd appreciate it. Stay tuned, train informed, and enjoy the endurance journey.
1: For your 303 Endurance Podcast. You're free.